UpToDate wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. This is Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. One of this world's leading foreign policy experts believes that it's the United States and its European allies who deserve most of the blame for the unfolding crisis in Ukraine. John Mearsheimer points out that, after all, this country has long pushed for expansion of NATO, a move that Russia believes is an existential threat to its survival. The U.S., in other words, has failed to respect Russia's national interests. John Mearsheimer is presenting a Cockafair lecture at UMKC on Thursday evening. He's the R. Wendell Harrison Distinguished Service Professor of Political Science at the University of Chicago. He graduated from West Point and has a Ph.D. in political science from Cornell. He's written extensively about security issues and international politics. John, it's a pleasure and honor to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you very much. We have some breaking news this morning on this issue. As you well know, just this morning, Russian President Vladimir Putin is said he's backing out of the nuclear arms treaty known as New START. It was Russia's final major nuclear agreement involving the United States. What was your reaction to this news? Well, I think what's happening here is that we're sort of ratcheting up uh, the uh, tensions on both sides. Uh, President Biden went to Kiev, and that, of course, was provocative to the Russians. And the Russians responded by basically saying that they're going to suspend their participation uh, in this important arms control agreement. And what we've seen happening since the war started last February 24th is a constant escalation. And where this all ends remains to be seen. Hmm. President Biden, of course, uh, now doubling down on the commitment of the U.S. to support Ukraine in the war based on his visit over there. Again, as you're suggesting, it seems like both sides are digging in their heels here. Can you guess where this thing is headed? Well, I think there's no question that both sides uh, are beginning to treat the other side's behavior as an existential threat. The Russians from the beginning have said that Uh, Ukraine becoming part of NATO was an existential threat. If you listen to President Biden speak, he's basically making the argument that Russia's behavior in Ukraine is an existential threat to the West. And when you have two opponents that are armed to the teeth with nuclear weapons, and each one sees the other presenting itself as an existential threat, the dangers of escalation to the nuclear level are quite great. Most people I know, and this includes me, find it very hard to tell a story about where this war ends in a way that both sides can walk away uh, and uh, we have some sort of meaningful peace agreement. So at this point in time, it looks like a very bleak future. John, you consider yourself to be part of something called the realist school of thought. And I'm wondering, before we get any further into this conversation, explain to our listeners what the realist school of thought is all about. Well, realists like me believe that this conflict is all about power. It's all about the balance of power. And when you take a military alliance like NATO, that was a military foe of the Soviet Union during the Cold War, and you march it up to Russia's border, Russia's going to react. And the end result is you're going to get a conflict. And that's what's happened. 
The way many Americans think about it is quite different. They think of it in ideological terms. This is a war between democracies on one side and an autocracy on the other side. And they pay little attention to balance of power considerations. So they think that marching NATO up to uh, Russia's border, including Ukraine in NATO, doesn't really matter. What matters is the ideological dimension. And I think ideology is not the key issue at play here. What really matters is the fact that we threatened Russia's security by trying to make Ukraine a Western bulwark on Russia's borders. Do you think the U.S. has taken any other steps uh, in the run-up to this war that got us to this point? I think there's one other very important step, and that is to understand that in eastern Ukraine, there has been since 2014 a civil war between Ukrainians and Ukrainians who believe themselves to be ethnic Russians or who are Russian speakers. So you had this civil war in the Donbass that pulled the Russians in. And the Russians, and this is especially true with regard to Vladimir Putin, were deeply interested in settling that civil war. Putin did not want to invade Ukraine. He wanted that civil war in eastern Ukraine to be settled. But the Ukrainians and the West were not interested in doing that. And the end result is that you had this raging civil war that provided another reason for Putin to intervene in Ukraine besides the NATO incentive that I described earlier. You also think that Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine was not in an imperial imperialist war of conquest. You said that after Putin, you said that after Putin had ordered 190,000 soldiers to cross the border into Ukraine with the aims of conquering it. What was your thinking on that front? Well, my argument is it was a war of self-defense. Mm-hmm. It was not a war of conquest. Mm. It's widely believed in the West that uh, Putin is an imperialist and he was bent on conquering Ukraine and making it part of a greater Russia right. or maybe even recreating the Soviet Union. Many people believe this. But my argument is that there is no evidence to support this. There's no evidence that he was interested in conquering Ukraine. And furthermore, if you take 190,000 troops, which is the maximum number of troops he used, I don't even think it's 190,000, but I'll assume that he invaded with 190,000 troops last February 24th. There is absolutely no way he could conquer all of Ukraine. He couldn't even conquer half of Ukraine with 190,000 troops. As I like to point out, when the Germans went into Poland in 1939, they went in with 1.5 million troops. Hmm. Those are the kind of numbers you need if you're going to conquer a huge country like Ukraine. And Ukraine, by the way, is much larger than Poland was in 1939. So with 190,000 troops, this was a limited aim strategy. It was not an attempt to conquer all of Ukraine. You know, this narrative that you're laying out here certainly isn't the narrative that the American media is uh, laying out day in and day out. Why is that, do you think? Because this is really a question about who has blood on their hands. What's happening in Ukraine is a disaster, and people want to know who is responsible for this. And obviously, most Americans want to blame Vladimir Putin. So they have to come up with a story that blames him. 
And the story that we've come up with is that he is an imperialist. He's bent on conquering Ukraine, that this was an unprovoked attack. And if you buy that line of argument, which again, there's no evidence to support, then Putin is responsible. But if you buy my line of argument, which is that NATO expansion and the West's efforts to make Ukraine a Western bulwark on Russia's border is what caused this crisis, then the West is largely responsible for it. And it's the West that has blood on its hands. So this is a high stakes debate about who bears responsibility because this war has turned out to be a disaster. And by the way, it's only gonna get worse. And for the poor Ukrainians, this is a total disaster. Their country is being wrecked and they're gonna end up losing a big slice of territory in the Eastern part of that country. John Mearsheimer will be speaking about all this in a Kaka Fair lecture at 6.30 Thursday evening uh, in Pearson Auditorium at the UMKC Atterbury Student Success Center. That event is open uh, to the public. It's free 6.30 on Thursday evening at, the, at Pearson Auditorium on the UMKC campus. Does it go without saying that there's a new Cold War now developing before our eyes here, John? Yes, there is a new Cold War developing, and that Cold War is taking place in Europe and in East Asia as well. You and I have been focusing on the competition, the security competition, maybe even war between Ukraine, excuse me, between Russia on one hand and the United States on the other. But it's very important to understand that in East Asia, there is an intense security competition that has broken out between the United States on one hand and China on the other hand. If you go back to the original Cold War between 1947 and 1989, there was basically one conflict dyad that was between the Soviets on one side and the Americans on the other side. In this new Cold War, we have two conflict dyads. We have the United States versus the Russians and the United States versus the Chinese. So we are living in very dangerous times. Your point for a while now has been that Russia is not uh, as serious a threat to the U.S. as China is and that our country should be more focused on China. Elaborate on that for me. I mean, do you mean simply that Russia is not a threat as a global superpower or how do you see it? Yes. If you look at the balance of power, the global balance of power, it's quite clear that Russia is the weakest of the three great powers on the planet and that China is a peer competitor of the United States. So virtually everybody in the foreign policy establishment in this country recognizes that China is a greater threat to the United States than Russia is, because Russia is much weaker than China. So what we should be doing is focusing laser-like on China. And if anything, we should be pivoting out of Europe, and we should be working hard to make the Russians our ally against China. Instead, what we're foolishly doing is we're forcing the Russians into the arms of the Chinese. The Russians and the Chinese have become very close allies. And furthermore, we're getting ourselves bogged down in East Asia and making, excuse me, in Eastern Europe, mm -hmm. and making it difficult to pivot to East Asia. 
This is a basic violation of balance of power 101. It's not the way we should be conducting foreign policy. So you want to remember that this war in Ukraine is doing a lot to make it difficult for us to contain China and East Asia, which should be our number one priority. We'll be back in just a minute. Why isn't it? What does the Biden administration say about what you're saying here? Well, the Biden administration thinks that Russia is a truly great threat, uh, not, not so much militarily, but I think ideologically. The Biden administration sees this conflict in Eastern Europe as one between an authoritarian state and a liberal democracy, and they believe that the Russians are a threat to the liberal international order, the rules-based order, so to speak, and that if we don't deal with the Russians, uh, it's going to have you know, catastrophic consequences for the United States. I, of course, don't believe that line of argument. I don't think this is an ideological conflict. I think it's really all about the balance of power. And because I think Russia is the weakest of the three great powers and is not a serious threat to conquer Europe, it's not even a serious threat to conquer all of Ukraine. I don't worry much about the Russians. I do worry about the Chinese. But the United States today worries about both of those countries. Hmm. John Mearsheimer is my guest. He's the R. Wendell Harrison Distinguished Service Professor of Political Science at the University of Chicago. He speaks in Kansas City on Thursday evening. What's You mentioned that Russia and, and China are becoming closer. Tell me more about that. How is that relationship evolving? What do you see happening right now? Well, from a Chinese perspective, it's very important that Russia not lose to the United States. Because if Russia loses to the United States, then the Americans are free to pivot to East Asia and confront the Chinese. Hmm. And furthermore, the Americans, if they're to defeat the Russians, will feel like they're full of uh, uh, enthusiasm for now dealing with the next target. They've gotten rid of the Russians. Now they can get rid of the Chinese. This is not in China's interest. So China has been helping the Russians. And I believe if there's any evidence that the Russians are losing to the Ukrainians, the Chinese will up their assistance hmm. To the Russians, because again, the Chinese cannot afford to allow the Russians to lose. And moreover, the Chinese have a vested interest in keeping the Americans pinned down in Eastern Europe. Hmm. At the same time, the Russians have a deep seated interest in getting all the help they can from anybody on the planet who will help them. And China is a big and powerful country, has all sorts of incentives to cooperate with the Russians. So it's no accident that the Russians are being nice to the Chinese and the Chinese are being nice to the Russians. And these two countries, which have been former adversaries, have come very close together. What you're describing here, John, this is quite a moment for not only this country, but for the entire world. I'm, it goes without saying that I'm seeing that correctly here. Well, I think there is a non-trivial chance. We can't you know, point to exact probabilities here, but I think there is a non-trivial chance that nuclear war, that nuclear weapons will be used and that we will have a nuclear war. I think, for example, if the Russians were to lose in Ukraine, 
if Western assistance put the Ukrainians in a position where the Ukrainians could actually defeat the Russians on the battlefield, I, I believe the Russians would turn to nuclear weapons. Hmm. And the Russians, I believe, would use nuclear weapons not against the West, they would use nuclear weapons against Ukraine. And one reason it's very likely that they would do that were they losing is that the Ukrainians do not have the capability to retaliate with their own nuclear weapons. If the Russians were to use nuclear weapons against a NATO country, or that of course would include the United States, then they would run the serious risk of nuclear retaliation by us. But if the Russians use nuclear weapons in Ukraine, and again, here we're assuming that the Russians are losing a war right. in Ukraine, if they use nuclear weapons against Ukraine, Ukraine cannot retaliate because they have no nuclear weapons, and we're not going to retaliate with nuclear weapons either. So you have a situation here where if the Biden administration is successful with its policy of defeating the Russians in Ukraine, what that means is that we are greatly increasing the likelihood of nuclear use. And my view is, given that Russia is not a serious threat to the United States, the last thing we want to do is risk a nuclear war. Mm -hmm. This would be sheer lunacy, in my opinion. And I think we have to be very careful here, because the possibility of nuclear war is on the table, even if it's not likely at this point in time. John, you're depressing me here. I hate to say it, but you're, you're bringing me down a little bit, making me nervous. Well, it's a very nerve-wracking situation in Ukraine. And as I said earlier, it's not just Ukraine, it's also right. China. Right. I mean, you start talking about Taiwan and the potential right. for conflict over Taiwan, that's a scary situation. I know a number of people who argue that that's even scarier than the Ukraine situation. Wow. wow. Is China in a position where it could possibly become the world's dominant superpower anytime soon, or is the U.S. in just too good a spot right now? Well, I think it is clear that at this point in time and for the next decade, the United States is the number one power in the world. But the Chinese are not that far behind. And there is a great danger moving forward that they'll catch up with us and maybe even move ahead. In my opinion, what matters the most here is the competition in developing cutting edge technologies mm -hmm. uh, that the Chinese have uh, challenged us on this front. In the 1990s, for example, there was no question that the United States dominated mm -hmm. when it came to building sophisticated technologies. But the Chinese have learned very well from us, and they're challenging us, and they want to beat us. Uh, I don't blame the Chinese. And we, of course, have now recognized this threat, and we're doing everything we can uh, to make sure they don't beat us and we beat them. And when you say China's not that far behind, you're referring to uh, them economically, right? Yes, economically. But I, I was focusing in particular on cutting-edge technologies. Uh, because I think that's what matters the most. It's the fact that when you look at artificial intelligence, quantum computing, chips, uh, 
5G and so forth and so on. Right. Uh, the United States faces a real challenge from China with regard to all these technologies. John, and, just, um, just real quickly, let me ask you one a question from a listener. What exactly would you suggest the U.S. do here? Should we turn our backs on Ukraine? I've got 20 seconds. Should we chain it? Turn no, our backs on shouldn't. Ukraine. Yeah. No, I don't think we should do that. Uh, I think what we should do at this time is see if we can do something to work out a negotiated settlement. I actually believe the Russians now have the momentum in this war. And if we're not careful, the Russians are going to end up conquering uh, even more territory. Right. So I'd be in favor of working out a negotiated settlement as soon as possible for the benefit of the Ukrainians and for the West more generally. That's John Mearsheimer. Uh, he's with the University of Chicago. He speaks at 6.30 Thursday at Pearson Auditorium on the UMKC campus. John, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. You're welcome, Steve. Up to Date is produced by Zach Wilson, Reginald David, Elizabeth Ruiz, Zach Perez, and Hannah Cole. Our intern is Claudia Brancard. Our announcer and engineer is Paul Nakatura. Our theme music is composed and performed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.